All right, so welcome back to House Lights. I am Liz Noss, and I'm joined once again with House Lights veteran Jaden Beard. Hi. <laughs> Great start. Fantastic. Anyways, all right, let's get right into Twitter tea. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was Todd Chrisley of Chrisley Knows Best was sentenced to 12 years in prison after being found guilty for tax evasion. So um, he was like a beloved star of a family reality TV show that I believe went on for too long, um, was found guilty, as well as his wife being sentenced to seven years behind bars for being part of this conspiracy. They collected about $30 million dollars in fraudulent loans. Um, they're still trying to say that this information is false, even though they were found guilty of this, and that they were, like, wrongly convicted. I think it's really funny, though, that they said this on their podcast. Like, Julie got, Julie Chrisley got on the podcast and was like, no, like, we, we're not, you That's know, hilarious. criminals. But I'm like, I'm not sure if your family podcast is the best. Wait, you should probably say that in court. Instant, but I mean, yeah. it's fine. But the scandal continues because the person who turned Todd Chrisley into the FBI and testified against him later was his secret lover, as well as his business partner, Mark Braddock, who he was having an affair with on his wife for about a year. Mark Braddock was also married and actually helped him commit <laughs> these crimes. And, like, honestly, it's kind of giving, like, Bonnie and Clyde, or I guess, like, Clyde and Clyde. Like, I would read that book over and over again. I kind of love it. Um, but I, like, literal partners in crime. I guess I find it interesting that his wife is not only, like, standing by him with, like, federal crime, but also infidelity. Like, I think she needs a girl boss her way out of prison. Like, I would have sent him to jail and framed him if I were her. Yeah. I just think it's crazy that they're pretty much you know, they were doing all of these crimes just to display their wealth on TV yeah. and to just, like, get all of this fame and notoriety because of it. And they didn't think that would, like, bring attention to their crimes. Like, they thought... Right. They very much thought that they would get away with it, it seems. So I'm wondering I'm wondering what the thought process was behind that. Yeah. Did you see any of this, like, in the cards for this? Like, this would be, like, a family-friendly show, like... Like down to earth family, but like, do you did you see this in the cards? All the scandal. I never really thought that they were a down to earth family <laughs> personally. Um, yeah. I didn't really watch. I've watched a couple episodes, but just the sort of vibe that I got was that they were very they were very into their money for sure. So. I wouldn't have predicted it, that's yeah. for sure. But I'm not really that surprised. Yeah. Do you think that, like, reality TV kind of pushes this, like, need to have, like, this fame and identity that you're rich? Oh, yeah, 100%. It's, but there's a lot of TV shows, that, especially on those sorts of channels, that the main focus is just, like, look how rich I am. Yeah. Look how much fame I can get from getting rich. Which, I mean, that's what pe a lot of people pay attention to. Mm. Because people, obviously, you know, they want to watch that as a form of escapism. To be like, oh, well, if I just work really hard in... What were they doing? Real real estate? Yeah, real estate. If I just work really hard in real estate, I can have all of this. Well, not, not necessarily. So. I, I will say I love the, um, like, buying, like what is it, like Buying Sunset or something like that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Real estate shows actually are pretty slay. But, like, the Southern charm, like, aspect of it, it was just always a little annoying to me. Very much. But, anyways, good luck in prison, I guess. I don't know. 
I don't know what to say to him. Next up, Maddie Healy of the 1975 is kissing fans again on stage. Um, a viral TikTok surfaced that showed Maddie Healy uh, back on tour, and he brought a fan to the stage to sing part of Robbers with him. In this video, he then makes out with her on stage. It seemed like they had a lot of chemistry. Lots. Um, which, honestly, love that for her. Uh, but, like, my seventh grade self was literally seething with anger. Like, why couldn't that be me? I, I told my boyfriend that... That would be one of my hell passes, is making out with him on stage if I got the chance to, like, fulfill my middle school self. But, however, he is getting older. He's, like, 31 now, so many people think it's a little weird that he did that, and, like, he would catch a case if he's not careful. Like, what do you think of this? I think that the pandemic's over, and that's (laughs) No, the pandemic's not over, but... (laughs) It is enough for this to be happening. People are definitely feeling more safe doing this than wouldn't have happened a year or two years ago. Yeah, I haven't really considered the fact that he's 31 and a lot of people going to his shows might be under 18, so maybe he should ask for them to show some ID first. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, Maddie Healy's actually taking fakes at his concert. <laughs> uh, are you a 1975 fan? Yeah, I would. I really like their music. Have you listened to the new album? I have not. Oh, it's fantastic. I, I love it so much. But yeah, Maddie Healy, if you need like a volunteer, like... I'm here for you. Anyways. Me as well. And over over 18. Moving on. (laughs) All right, so this is probably the biggest story of the week, the the Balenciaga controversy. So Balenciaga released a new ad campaign for their holiday gifts where children were, like, pictured with the gifts, you know, kind of a cute idea. Then they were also pictured holding stuffed animals that were wearing bondage, like clothing and material. Uh, Many people, including myself, were freaked out and kind of disgusted by this because it's obviously like sexualizing these literal children. I mean, they couldn't have been more than five years old. So Balenciaga then released a statement saying that they punished the person who created the campaign because that was not supposed to be in the, the shoot, and they also took it down. They also then deleted everything from their social media, not just, like, the campaign. They literally wiped their whole Instagram. I think this was probably the worst way to deal with this because it kind of paints the brand as, like, a victim by deleting. They're like, oh, we're getting all this hate and backlash, so we need to delete everything to get rid of it. But, like, you did this to yourself, as well as they were, like, saying that it's the photographer's fault, but, like, you released those pictures. That went through, like, many people to have it published. Like, it wasn't leaked pictures of a deleted shoot. Like, this was published on the site. So I think it's, it's the brand's fault. It's not one person's fault. So kind of made me angry. Um, people are also um, giving backlash to Kim K because she did not condemn the brand, especially, like, as a mother. People were getting angry at her. She said that she would be reviewing her involvement and feelings on the brand. I feel like that's just kind of a lazy response. Like, she doesn't need the money from the brand, like, the brand shoots that she does she's a billionaire what did you think about this because you were the one that wanted to bring this up which i was happy you were yeah so i saw those pictures and first of all i was really just very deeply unsettled and disturbed by them of course disgusted and i think what balenciaga is doing is really weak right now Mm. they're taking zero accountability by blaming the photographer by saying that that wasn't supposed to be the campaign i don't understand why was it put out then Right. I would like to think that a brand that has such a high status, such as Balenciaga, would have that approved. So personally, just my opinion, I think that's a lie. Mm-hmm. As of Kim K, she definitely should have you know, condemned it sooner. But I also don't think that really, you know, we really should be looking 
for her to, you know, be the moral right. high ground here. I it, mean, I think we should just you know, just not have such high expectations right, <laughs> in right. that realm. But she does have a lot of influence, so that does carry a weight. Yeah, I think that they're not handling this correctly. And also, Balenciaga is a brand where they always try to do things out of the norm. Mm. Definitely, they were going for shock value That's with this I'd one. Say, like they saw that they were edgy with it, and it's like, no, you're just being weird. It's it's more it's more than that because yeah, it's sexualizing children, and it's also making it normal. Like it's right. normalizing sexualizing children for the sake of a shock value, and especially a fashion brand where I, they create trends. That mm. is something that they do. That should definitely just have never have happened. And they definitely need to do better than just delete their Instagram. That is such, I don't know whose idea that was or whose idea any of this was. Also, these brands are supposed to be so much more calculated than this. I don't know how they expected the public to react. It's, we talked about this on the last podcast. All press is not good press nowadays, especially. It's not. Right, absolutely. And, you know, going off of that, I just feel like, you know, the trends of, you know, sort of sexualizing younger people has always been in high fashion. I feel like that's why high fashion gets in trouble a lot, uh, because they try to make these, like, porcelain doll-looking young girls be the face of these companies. And it gets even worse when you make actual children the face of something that can, can be sexualized. It was... I just, I saw that, I saw that it was like trending on Twitter before I saw the campaign photos. And when I saw the photos, my jaw dropped. Mm. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. I think the creative director should probably be fired or resigned. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Now moving on to movies, music, and shows. I saw She Said this weekend, and it follows the story of two New York Times journalists following the Me Too story with Harvey Weinstein, and it is my favorite movie of the year so far, Um, right um, above Wakanda Forever for me. Um, It is what Bombshell wanted to be, but couldn't. Amazing performances from both Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan as, as journalists. I am biased, but of course, but I am a sucker for a journalism movie. It was beautifully shot and written. It's my pick this year for best adapted screenplay. Um, It handles the emotional parts of this um, amazingly and makes the story, you know, less of obviously a bummer, but a triumph. It handles like the legalese in um, a great way and begs the question of what makes a victim or survivor able to triumph the odds of Hollywood. And I think it paints media in in more of a hopeful and optimistic way and it's been painted in the past, um, especially with, you know, the fake news era, as some people call it. So I beg you, drop all your plans this weekend and see this movie. You better see it, Jaina. I, I want to see it now. Absolutely. Well, the second one I want to talk about is Glass Onion is out in theaters. Uh, it probably has the most Oscar buzz. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, this movie will be out in, in on Netflix in about like a month. But this week it came out in theaters and people are buzzing about this. And it looks like it'll be a front runner for award season. People are saying Kate Hudson will get some of her first Oscar nods. Uh, Janelle Monet apparently is fantastic in this as well. Hopefully it doesn't lead to another cringe opening of the Oscars um, with Janelle Monet's song in 
and dance. But I'm very excited to see this as it's getting way better ratings than Knives Out. And that was also very critically acclaimed. Did you see Knives Out? I did see Knives Out. I liked it. Mm, I'm excited for this. I feel like it's a good um, way to come back off a success of that kind of film. So... Super excited. Finally, Dead to Me season three. I, I watched it this past week, binge watched the final season uh, with my mom, and it was it was phenomenal. This this is one of the only shows that keeps me engaged the whole time. I'm not playing Subway Surfers while I'm binge watching it, which is something that I do, and it's so terrible because it's like, do you really need to veg out so hard that you're consuming two parts of media? But anyways, it's fine. Can be engaged the whole time. There's always something to stress out about because of its moving parts constantly. It's only like 27 minute episodes, which is like perfect to keep things moving. Um, there's always a mystery to find out or an odd to overcome. Um, it was super gorgeous, really nailed down the theme of dealing with grief and loss that it's dealt with since the first episode. So it was the perfect way to wrap this up without giving uh, too many spoilers because spoilers will ruin this show because it constantly has something new to talk about. But I feel like this show is also overwhelmingly like happy with the theme of friendship and family overall and that you can get through any hardship if you... Um, if you have these people by your side. Very much recommend the show if you loved Big Little Lies, especially season one. Favorite, like, okay, I say Big Little Lies is my favorite show of all time, but I'm specifically talking about just season one because that's what the book was, and then they decided to make a season two, but of course Meryl Streep's in that, so I can't, I can't help but love season two as well. But yes, if you like Big Little Lies, Dead to Me, great show. All right, so I'm going to get to culture stories. So first, Jane, I want to talk to you about our coverage of the Transgender Day of Awareness. Um, so tell me what you saw there. What was exactly the purpose of the event? So the purpose of the event was to commemorate transgender lives lost due to violence. That is a very large problem that happens both in the LGBTQ plus community and also just especially in the transgender community. They face a lot of violent attacks. Um, so the purpose of the event was to commemorate the lives lost just due to violence and those attacks. And so at the event, they had some food for everyone and they had this fire that was supposed to um, just sort of commemorate the lives lost and just pay respect. Yeah. And yeah, it was a really good thing that they were able to do, that they were able to have over at the Erickson Kiva Center on campus. A lot of different groups were there that were putting mm -hmm. it on. Yes. All right, so let's let's talk about the news recently. We, we had an attack on an LGBTQ plus bar in Colorado Springs. Do you think, you know, days like this transgender day of awareness makes, you know, makes these days more important? Yes. So the recent attacks kind of makes us think about the importance of recognizing days like Transgender Day of Remembrance and especially just putting an emphasis on transgender lives and recognizing the struggles that are faced and that there is a very clear, you know, threat present. Yeah. And it's something that we have to recognize and it's something that we have to deal with mm -hmm. as a society. And it's something that we just have to put a lot of emphasis on. Yeah. So why do you think the GSCC is an important resource for transgender students and, you know, people in the community in general to use? So if you look on their website, they have a very long list of just different resources for a bunch of different types of struggles or even just general counseling. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it really just gives a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a good 
um, system to use. So I encourage everyone to check it out. Yes, please check out Jaden's story. And also, we have Alex Walters in the studio today talking about a conversation uh, that we had on how students and experts differ on their opinions and what we need to do about uh, sustainability and you know climate change. Tell me about these this conversation we were having and the beliefs that they have and how they differ. Yeah, of course. So one of my favorite parts about what I've gotten to do over the course of this semester with the environmental reporting is to talk to people with all kinds of perspectives from, you know, climate deniers to skeptics to people who don't think it's important in their lifetime. And then mostly to student organizers who are really into climate change. But there's like, there's this big split, right? And not just at MSU with organizing here, but just um, with anybody that cares about climate change. And I'd say maybe half the students I talk to believe uh, really strongly in individual sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're going to recycle you're going to carry your metal straw. You're going to, um, you know, use your beeswax wrappers instead of the saran wrap or the plastic bags, um, like our Love and Sex reporter Hannah does. Very sustainable. But, you know, there's this belief that it's about individual action, right? And then there's another group that I talked to that I think makes up maybe the other half of the organizing at MSU who believe that individual sustainability, that's nice if you want to do that, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't center that in the discussion, right? Because when you do that, it turns people off to it altogether. And it's kind of reductive, right? Because there's, you know, there's a true belief, which is that I could go my whole life using my beeswax wrappers and my metal straw. Is that ever going to offset the carbon emissions from one of Taylor Swift's flights on her private jet, which happen all the time, even short distances? It's crazy. You know, and so there's this big split with student organizers that I keep seeing. And so I kind of want to talk about that because I think it's an interesting thing of like, what's the right way to do it? And then there's a lot of effects of that on the student body, too, of these kind of clashing perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you said that some of them believe that maybe we should just do nothing then. How is this a solution in their eyes? Well, it's not. I wouldn't say organizers are saying that. I think that there was one organizer that I talked to for a story about a reusable container program that was going into some of the grab-and-go dining halls at Michigan State. I think I talked to her about two weeks ago. And she was saying that there's a lot of apathy on campus with students about environmental issues because there's sort of this... Both sides have it the same way, right? Mm -hmm. Where they say that if you push individual sustainability, people feel like, you know, they have to do all of this hard work and it turns them off to the, like, climate movement altogether. And on the other side, it's saying if you say that people really, other than voting or protesting, there's nothing they can do, that turns them off to it in a different way, right? Because now they feel like they're not a part of the equation, that there's nothing that they can, like, materially change. And so she was saying that she thinks that that creates, and I wish I could remember her name, it's in the story. So great reason to read my story. Read the story. Um... But, you know, what she was saying was that that sort of, like, apathy builds up where students, because of this clashing perspective, they just don't want to do anything at all. Whether it's collective action, like protesting or organizing for voting, or individual sustainability. Which is really sad, because both these, you know, groups of organizers, whether it's the the Sunrise people I talk to who are big into, you know, uh, a larger political push, or the people I talk to at the surplus store who are into, this week they're making reusable holiday wreaths out of um, old clothing and stuff. They both want the same thing. They want to live on a planet that's not burning and fiery and horrible and hellscape. But I think in that kind of conflict, they're pushing a lot of people away. Absolutely. Um, Talk to me really quick about Sunrise and um, their movement at the football game, because I saw that and I ended up taking a picture of that. Yeah, that was a really interesting protest. They, um, you know, Sunrise has been pushing for divestment for a long time. Mm -hmm. They started in 2018 when MSU first made the announcement they were divesting, which they, they fulfilled their promise about public investments, but obviously private investments, uh, yeah. they still have. It's $88.9 million in fossil fuels. Most of them are in a company called Lime Rock, which does, uh, I think it's upstream oil and gas, which is like the transportation of oil and gas. Anyway, 
So they've been organizing for a long time about that. This fall, they took kind of a little hiatus for a couple months mm. between uh, September when they were recruiting and now. They wanted to do, they called them uh, visioning sessions with new members to decide what their vision was going to be. And they decided their vision was, it's, it's what it was before, it's divestment. Um, and so they made their big, their big first splash back onto the scene at the football game against, I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> matter. And um, We lost. They were, yeah, <laughs> someone we lost to. And they had these big signs. One of them said, if I remember correctly, it said divest now, or it said trustees divest now, and then it said no oil money. Yeah. And they held them up in the stadium, and then after a few minutes, stadium security came and informed them, you know, there's no signs allowed in the stadium, mm. um, so stadium security would have to confiscate them. Uh, they said Sunrise follows them down. Eventually, it ends with Sunrise saying, you know, well, we won't give you our signs, so we're going to leave. Yeah. They put out a press release where they said they were kicked out. I think that's a big, you know, miss. Not really at all accurate, but, you know, they left because they didn't want their signs right. or they wanted their signs. Um, yeah, and this is their big push back onto the scene, their big splash. And they say that they have a lot in store for the coming months with more of that. And so, yeah, I guess it was interesting to see. But that kind of, you know, again, that's not saying MSU students, you need to reform your pro- portfolios. That's right. saying the university we go to with a multi-billion dollar endowment is investing almost $100 million into this. And they've even said, you know, I talked to an organizer named Lauren Sawyer couple weeks ago she's she used to be with sunrise now she's she's not she's doing um, some internships she was actually with sierra club recently which is another organization and she said to me for an M- it's, and i'm paraphrasing poorly but you know for an msu student if you say you know use your plastic bags your metal straws all that how are they supposed to think they're making a difference when they pay their tuition to a university that invests a hundred million dollars in fossil fuels yeah. and i think that kind of encapsulates that argument right which is that if we don't fix these big things the small stuff's all moot Absolutely. Well, go read more of Alex's pieces on environmental stuff. Thank it's you. fantastic. There's, there's a lot of them. There's a lot. There's a lot. You're constantly on a call, and that's the joke in the newsroom. <laughs> um, but for the final thing, of course, is our yik yak of the day. It said, this man said I was repressed sexually. Okay, you didn't have to say that out loud in Olive Garden. <laughs> and, that, and that's it for today. <laughs> Tune in next week to House Lights. Bye-bye. Bye.